Hi there, and welcome, and thank you for joining us for another exciting Observation Medicine podcast, also known as a Pobscast. We are back again this time with Dr. Michael Ross. My name is Anwar Osborne, and we both work at Emory, uh, and we are entrenched in Observation Medicine. Today we're going to be talking again about heart failure because it, as an issue, it refuses to go away. So, Dr. Ross, briefly, could you tell us why heart failure remains such a hot-button issue in today's healthcare climate? Sure, and I'll, I'll put that in the context of observation medicine as well. You know, the, the early days of observation uh, medicine and observation units focused on the hot-button uh, condition of chest pain because of all the missed MIs. As time progressed, it's, it, it evolved on to conditions such as TIA, which has been pretty well studied. I think that the next real frontier for observation medicine, uh, it's, it's an established but growing frontier, is in heart failure. Uh, about, and, and today we'll be talking about a few papers that uh, we'll give you references to, the really um, good, uh, thought-provoking sources of information for our discussion today. Uh, so to, to answer your question, to quote from one of the papers by uh, Sean Collins uh, from Vanderbilt University, Nashville, Tennessee. This is from the Journal of the American College of Cardiology 2013. It is um, issue 61, pages 121 to 6, if you have an online library. It's called, Is Hospital Admission for Heart Failure Really Necessary? It's a, the Role of the Emergency Department and Observation Unit in Preventing Hospitalization and Rehospitalization. Um, now, in that paper, he references that about 800,000 times a year, an emergency physician admits a patient with heart failure. And it's largely because the emergency physician is faced with a decision at the end of their initial diagnosis and treatment, do I send this person home or keep them? And heart failure patients, unfortunately, can't uh, often be adequately tr treated within the five to six hour time frame of an ED visit nor is it safe to send them home for a continuing care or visiting nurse until they've been risk ratified and adequately treated. The, um, so, you know, in this paper, <clears throat> Colin suggests kind of a two-targeted approach. Um, I, I should uh, add the Society of Chest Pain Centers in its journal, The Critical Pathways in Cardiology, uh, has previously published uh, guidelines um, in 2008 on the uh, evaluation and management of observation of heart failure patients in an observation unit. <clears throat> in the paper, um, uh, Dr. Collins uh, summarizes uh, the basic strategy um, for observation unit treatment of heart failure patients. Um, the first step is, of course, patient selection, uh, looking for uh, things that might exclude a patient, such as uh, cardiac ischemia, major arrhythmias, hypotension, hypoxia, evidence of um, very poor organ perfusion, and contributing conditions that are not likely to respond to 24 hours of treatment, such as acute renal dysfunction, hyponatremia, COPD, uh, diabetes infections, etc. The goal of the observation unit is to um, 
provide therapy and uh, monitor the patient's response to therapy, uh, to provide patients with education, to identify high-risk features in patients such as uh, an occult and STEMI, which may have triggered the, uh, the heart failure, um, to, to make sure that the patients are treated in compliance with guideline and recommended therapies such as ACE inhibitors, R beta blockers, aldosterone antagonists, loop diuretics, etc. And then to, import, to, to arrange the important uh, outpatient follow-up uh, from the following discharge from the unit. Let me ask you a question. Uh, a lot of times when we discuss heart failure, particularly in the emergency department, we treat it like it's a single diagnosis or a single condition, when in reality, it looks like there's more than one way to, to call a heart failure. There's the, his, the heart failure with the preser, preserved uh, systolic uh, function, and then there's the more systolic uh, failure with uh, ejection fraction that's depressed that, that uh, we see very often and is very responsive to things like Lasix and ACEs and uh, nitrates. Do you think that that in the future should be part of the evaluation of a patient in reference to observation care, or do you think we should kind of treat it all together? You know, the, I, I guess the, the answer is it depends. Um, the, the exclusion criteria for, for, uh, that's mentioned in this paper and in the other guidelines are patients uh, that have uh, a systolic pressure less than 100 should be excluded. Now, whether it's systolic or diastolic failure, uh, hypotensive patients are unlikely to be discharged. Um, systolic failure and diastolic failure have different treatment issues. The, the ideal heart failure uh, patient is, is not a patient that's having active cardiac ischemia, uh, uh, but a patient who is simply a little fluid overloaded, simply a patient who stopped their diuretic or went off their low-salt diet and because of that retain a little too much fluid, uh, but don't have acute uh, comorbid conditions or an acute uh, serious condition causing their heart failure to become exacerbated. So th those uh, slightly fluid overloaded patients are really a, a pretty well-defined group, uh, systolic or diastolic, that simply need a little uh, diuresis, uh, careful diuresis, monitoring for complications of, of diuresis or of heart failure, and then appropriate medical management and discharge. Is there a randomized controlled trial that we can hang our hats on for which patients are most appropriate to go to observation medicine units or versus not? Uh, that's a great question. You know, uh, in, in this paper and in, in the, so the accompanying editorial, that's mentioned. The, the need for such a, a study has been mentioned. I, it's my understanding that it's been considered by NIH, but so far hasn't been funded. So let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that the NIH or another funding agency will, will fund such a study because the observation medicine community is certainly ready to embrace such a study. Uh, the type of exclusion criteria that are listed in Sean Collins' paper include a, a systolic um, less than 100, respiratory rate over 32, BUN over 40, a creatinine over 3, evidence of ACS as uh, indicated by ischemic, new ischemic changes on an EKG or an elevated troponin, uh, and a BNP over 1,000. Those have all been found in, in other studies to be predictive of observation unit failure. Okay, well, that, that is helpful. And uh, as a practitioner, I think that that's information we can all use. You know, 
the uh, Sean Collins had, had previously, as well as uh, Javin Butler, had had looked at uh, ED heart failure populations and estimated that between 40 and 50 percent of heart failure patients fell into this intermediate risk category where they're a little uh, slightly fluid overloaded and could be managed uh, actively and discharged with about 75% discharge within 23 hours. And is that group including uh, people who had the exclusion criteria that we just talked about? Or is that more of a clinical gestalt kind of group? Uh, I, I think it's both. I think those two, those two studies, uh, let's see, one was uh, Javid Butler's with the, was the American Journal of Cardiology, a, a paper in 1998. The other one was a Critical Pathways in Cardiology paper by Sean Collins in 2009. Uh, those papers... Uh, were retrospective uh, reviews of, of charts looking at low-risk criteria um, using ACC AHA criteria in the in the Butler paper and using Society of Chest Pain Center criteria in the Collins paper. So those are two um, guidelines um, more than um, validated criteria. You know, the a paper that's soon to come out. Um, it's been presented at the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine, and it's uh, soon to come out in the Academic Emergency Medicine by uh, just our own Justin Schrager, looked at uh, 327 um, ED observation unit heart failure patients uh, to see if we were discharging heart failure patients only to have them come back within 30 days and, and, and have and complete their hospital stay on readmission, whether it's observation or inpatient. So the, I guess the hypothesis of the paper was that discharged observation patients may be uh, coming back and um, being readmitted so that their 30-day number of bed days would be the same as admitted uh, heart failure patients. And in fact, what we found is that uh, 73% of the 327 heart failure patients were uh, discharged with in, in an average of well under 24 hours. I believe it was 17 hours. Um, and when we followed those patients over over uh, 30 days, the discharged patients maintained a lower number of hospital bed days, whether you counted inpatient days or observation days, if you including the index visit. So they maintained a lower number of bed days than the admitted patients, 1.7 days versus 3.5 days between the two the discharged and admitted groups. When we followed that out to 90 days, the lower number of bed days of discharge versus admitted patients maintained remained the same. When we then looked at patients in both groups that were readmitted as heart failure patients often are, there was really no difference in the readmit rate of the discharged observation unit patients and the uh, admitted observation patients. Notably, uh, the the 30-day readmit rate was uh, actually lower than the Medicare reported uh, readmit rate. Um, for heart failure patients. Uh, that's one of my favorite studies, partially because I got to be on it. However, the uh, take-home message, what I thought was, is that when physicians in the emergency department put patients in observation units, it's not at the expense of them just getting treated, leaving, and then bouncing back to the ER or being admitted to the hospital a bunch of times. And I think that approach is validated by that uh, particular study that we uh, is, are about to publish. Yeah, that's, that's good. You know, this we're feeding you a lot of papers here today, so let me feed you one more that I think is, is kind of a nice wrap-up of the, our heart failure discussion. 
And it's from Annals of Emergency Medicine, uh, the March uh, 2013 uh, issue. It's by an author named Peter Smolowitz. Um, and, this, and this is actually a concepts piece, which I think is very uh, thought-provoking and provocative in the health, pair, health policy arena. Um, and what he did is he, he kind of posed the, the, the he looked at the, the impact of health policy changes on decreasing health care costs. Now, anytime you say emergency department and health policy, the, 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 the words or thought that immediately jump to mind is all these darn avoidable ED visits. And in this paper, he reviewed several papers that looked at different methods of decreasing or avoiding the costs of unnecessary ED visits, whether it's pricing the ED visit at a rate similar to a clinic visit or an intervention to completely avoid an ED visit. And he actually, he extrapolated that out and estimated using uh, a, a, um, an ED visit um, breakdown method uh, called the Billings method, the Billings algorithm. And using that approach, he found that probably 10 to 16% of ED visits are totally unavoidable. Cardiac arrests, intubated patients, really sick people that nobody's gonna avoid admissions on. And then if he was really generous and used the Billings method, you know, anywhere from 12 to 40% of ED visits might be avoidable. Now, this is a very controversial area because a lot of people would argue that they need to be treated in the setting, but let, let's, let's just be conservative and say that he's right, that 12 to 40% of ED visits are avoidable. He found that with the best estimates of, of the published studies, avoiding those admissions would save between 0.24 and 0.8 of total U.S. healthcare costs. What's provocative in this paper that relates to our current discussion is he then estimated that um, using this method, the Billings method, that between 31 and 57% of ED visits are in this intermediate category. Things like heart failure, COPD, diabetes, UTIs, pneumonia, abdominal pain, angina. And he estimated that a mere 10% decrease in admissions in that, in that category of 31 to 57% of, of uh, ED visits would be associated with a one to two and a half percent decrease in total U.S. healthcare spending. Now, if you do the ratio on that, that's about a three to one return on investment. So it really begs the question, why is the healthcare policy discussion so focused on these darn unnecessary ED visits when in fact the, the greater role of the ED is, it, is in avoiding safely and effectively avoiding uh, uh, hospital admissions with observation units? And that's a great point. Uh, what I guess we can take from that is that maybe the emergency part department is a way to try to influence healthcare cost savings as opposed as opposed to being a place where uh, it looks like there's a lot of wasteful spending. Yeah, and you know, and it's not all about cost. I mean, a lot of times we I think we focus too much on the cost benefits of observation units because I think the evidence and data is so compelling. But remember, the other studies have found that there are three randomized studies that suggest that care in the observation unit, when it's protocol-driven, it actually is, is associated with outcomes that were superior to inpatient admission. And it's, it's not to, um, to heavily criticize inpatient admission. What it does, though, is it says that this is not worse care for these patients. There have been uh, studies that, that looked at patient satisfaction and quality of life that, again, showed patient satisfaction quality of life was superior in the protocol-driven observation unit setting, partially because patients don't like to be what they call institutionalized for several days if it can be avoided. 
you know, and, and that, uh, which, which kind of brings up, I guess, um, another paper by uh, Harlan Krumholtz, who's a renowned uh, cardiologist uh, researcher. Um, in the uh, January 2013 New England Journal of Medicine, where he mentions what he calls the post-hospitalization syndrome, an acquired transient condition of generalized risk. And without, it, it's a very interesting, provocative paper. And what it suggests is that, you know, one of the one of the key elements of hospital re, hospital readmissions that's being overlooked is the fact that when you take a patient that is barely living independently, and you put them in the hospital for, for several days, uh, they become what's called deconditioned, where they previously were barely getting by independently. If you put them in, in a hospital, they lose their strength, they lose their ability to function independently, and, and this becomes really a, a separate, a unique cause for hospital readmission, where the patients go home and they now cannot function um, it's usually elderly patients with COPD, heart failure, things like that, but they can't function because they've lost their ability to function independently and they're rehospitalized. In the context of observation units, that can be avoided if patients are treated and effectively and safely discharged in less than a day when this deconditioning begins to occur. So sometimes the big benefit in care is not necessarily what goes on in the observation unit, but what keeps them out of the hospital where other things like deconditioning and hospital-related complications can happen. That's right. I, th I think as you've said before, if you don't have OBS, you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> we should use that to end the show. So next time, uh, we'll talk more about OBS. Maybe we'll have Mike Ross. Maybe we'll have a special guest. Uh, feel free to email me, A-D-O-S-B-O-R, at emory.edu. Uh, we have lots of new resources. You can check out our CDU app on the Google Play Android market. Or you can go to our website, uh, which is kind of a wiki now. It's uh, www.obsprotocols.org. So uh, we leave you. Good, e good evening, and thanks for listening. <laughs>